You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses and governments prepare for the future. So this is a Trowers podcast into net zero transportation and the role of spatial planning. Not wanting to pigeonhole people, but we're expecting this largely to be of interest to uh, developers, planners and promoters, but really anyone with a, a keen interest in the zero carbon agenda and carbon neutral um, developments. Um, in the, the room today, you've got myself, Nick Burt. I'm a partner here at Trails and Hamlins and also the head of our uh, strategic land um, practice. Uh, I've also got in the room uh, Paul. Paul Curtis, we just ask you to introduce yourself, Paul. Yeah, hi there, Nick. Uh, my name is Paul Curtis. I work for Vectos. I work in their international R&D team, leading a number of projects looking into travel behaviour trends, new mobility innovations, and uh, working those into our transport planning offer in, in the company. And I've also got Paul's uh, colleague, John, in the room as well. John Lloyd. Ah, uh, yeah, John Lloyd. So I'm... Um director with Vectos, I'm now part of the SLR group and I'm based in South West but I work across the UK on a range of development schemes um, from promoter, land agent, landowner, house builder and across other sectors as well so retail regen etc. And just for a bit of um, timing, so this has been recorded in late September in 2021. I think that's of interest because uh, the backdrop is that we're in the height, not of a fuel shortage apparently, but of a driver shortage. So we're seeing queues of uh, traffic at pump stations. And um, all of a sudden, I think moving up people's agenda probably is uh, transportation and carbon neutral transportation because we're all struggling to get hold of uh, hold of fuel. So it just so happens that although this one here has been planned for a while, um, it's fairly well it's fairly well timed. Um, the idea or, or what we're going to be doing over the next sort of uh, 20, 25 minutes or so is really looking at uh, an RTPI report that Vectors have uh, have helped lead on um, into net zero transportation and into um, spatial spatial planning. Um, and um, we, we've got with us Paul, who was one of the authors of that report, and John, who was a, a key contributor. And the idea is to run through and really give a bit of a summary of what that report covered, and then also to look at some sort of real-life examples and how that report is sort of on the ground um, being used in, and how Vectos and, and others are implementing it um, with a view to delivering on the, um, on the report's aims. So I think probably a sensible thing for me to do is to throw it over to, to Paul and John, probably at first instance, to, to give a little bit of a background and perhaps, perhaps you can start us off with, with, with how you got involved with the RTPI and this, um, this particular project and, and, and report. Thanks, Nick. So our involvement came about um, from the work that we've been doing with LDA Design, who were the lead consultants. They were kind enough to approach us to partner on the study. And it sort of it fits with the ethos of both us and, and, and LDA's um, approach to uh, development and how we see the future of development panning out. And we were partners also with City Science, who really have their sort of finger on the pulse for carbon accounting, carbon assessment um, and transport policy. So, um, uh, so yeah, that's, that's how it came about. Paul, do you want to sort of just cover off exactly what we were uh, doing within the this, this study, what it was all about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so by way of background, um, yeah, we're currently in this sort of driver shortage, fuel so shortage, but uh, the study, it was, it was uh, published earlier in 
2021. So we, we did most of the work at the end of 2020. So we were in or out of lockdown, uh, various parts of, of the study uh, period. And so at that time, uh, the, the majority of councils, you know, as is the case now, have declared climate emergencies. So uh, in fact, they've in, in many ways have got set out set out more ambitious targets than than the net zero 2050 target which is is from the government so there's this momentum locally now for for really tackling carbon emissions uh, we've got cop 26 coming up in glasgow of course which is a year delayed uh, and you've got the momentum from sort of generated from that um we're seeing finally the sort of uptake of electric vehicles uh sort of re really uh, sort of t taking um taking a pace now and we've also seen you know, during the lockdown period the, the the ways in which uh our travel habits have changed our living our working habits have changed um and so this this uh this study really sort of fell fell, fell in a very interesting time and the uh, main objective of the study um what we wanted to do was to see whether or not we could uh, in any way achieve an 80% reduction in surface transport emissions by 2030 as, as a pathway of, of getting to net zero by 2050. Um, the, the reason why we chose such a sort of ambitious target within the study was principally because of a UN report uh, a couple of years ago, the UN's emission gap report. And if you think back to the Paris Agreement, they talked about uh, keeping global temperature increases, so cap, trying to cap them at a 1.5 degree increase, uh, preferably, or worst case, two degrees. Uh, but uh, the UN emissions gap report stated a couple of years ago, if we are going to stay on course for that 1.5 degree rise, then we need to effect a 7.6% reduction of global emissions every year now until 2030. So 7.6% is really the year-on-year -year target for emissions reduction. And um, if we think back to 2020, we, we actually achieved that target, which is quite uh, sort of good news in, in, in that, uh, so for one year we were on track. But if you think back to the amount of upheaval and changes in behavior and staying at home and uh, you know, government-led restrictions on movement that that took us to to, to meet that uh, target, and we have to replicate that now every single year until 2030 if we're going to stay within this 1.5 centigrade. So, sort of some uh, scope for optimism, but also the realism that we really do need to change the way that we uh, travel and the way that we plan for new developments and also the way we need to start retrofitting um, our, our towns and cities. So that was sort of the backdrop really for the for the study. So we're, we've got this target of, of re reducing by 80% by 2030. And what we did, we brought together 40 different stakeholders cross sector from uh, transport planning, uh, environment, energy, transport operators. Uh, we brought them all, all around uh, virtual uh, uh, tables to, to discuss what we felt the, the most important interventions that could could be delivered to get there. And there was a really big emphasis here on what we call place-based solutions. So there's an understanding that, okay, some people might 
like to just electrify everything and they think they can find the carbon savings that way. But if we did that, we'd, we'd sort of lock in a normal approach to allocating road space, for example, and we'd really miss a trick on the potential for Im improving biodiversity and bringing forward local living and having proper amenities in, 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 in local spaces so you don't have to travel all the time um, to do most of your jobs. Um, so we, we introduced what we call the, the, the SAM framework. It's called the Sustainable Accessibility and Mobility Framework, uh, which Vectos has developed in some of our research projects. And just very simply, it foresees three, three levels that you should think about when, um, when planning for, for communities and, and, and developments. And first of all, you should design communities where you don't always have to leave your, your immediate neighborhood in order, to, in order to work or in order to be educated or in order to, uh, to, to get things delivered. So uh, you need to think about how can we substitute trips altogether, the unnecessary trips that many of us make, can those be done, more of them be done locally and take, you know, take uh, the, the mobility aspect out of the equation. The second level is to, to design communities in a way where we can shift modes to, to more sustainable transport, shared transport, on-demand transport services. And then only the third level should you start thinking about, okay, so we've already put in all the infrastructure to allow for local living, for, um, uh, for micro consolidation, for mobility hubs, for 15 minute neighborhoods, uh, for on-demand DRT, once we've got all of those locked in, which will really help chip away at those unnecessary uh, car trips and emissions, then we should start thinking obviously about electric and hydrogen infrastructure and allowing the, the rest of uh, the vehicles and, and the public transport fleets to be electrified. So um, taking those three steps in turn, um, we, we, we developed 40 interventions such as active travel corridors, 15 minute neighborhoods, uh, demand responsive transport, uh, parking restrictions, access restrictions, all the different interventions available to us to really try and start chipping away at that 80% target. And we didn't talk in the abstract. We developed four typologies, place typologies. So these were four different towns and cities of different sizes from 20,000 up to a million in population some polycentric, some unicentric, um, and they were based on real places, but we kind of gave them pseudonyms for the, for the purposes of the project so that we could uh, talk freely. And for each, we, we went through the different interventions and tried to prioritize really uh, what would be the most suitable interventions in terms of retrofitting uh, city streets, as well as looking at how we design new developments and new communities. And then through the uh, city science model, we started the, the carbon modeling work uh, to see what the impacts would be of delivering various interventions. Well, one thing that, that I think would be interesting to understand, um, just because I guess all of us work on different size projects at different times in our in our career, but it, but it's how those um, how those four different sort of um, examples looked, and and you sort of mentioned that they were sort of broadly modeled on on existing um, conurbations, but, but sort of what they were and, and how that sort of uh, made the report applicable to, to as wide a variety of um, scenarios as, as is possible. Sure. So as I said, the, the, the four typologies being based on uh, towns in England. And so the, the current modal share, uh, the current public transport 
coverage. Um, uh, the the current uh, journey types and the average journey lengths. So all of that data was uh, put into the model so that when we started um, sort of layering these interventions, so what what would be the impact if we if we if we managed to um, if we if we rolled out 15 minute neighborhoods or active travel corridors or a whole fleet of demand responsive um, uh, minibuses running around town, um, what would happen if we put in some car free centers and uh, you know, all, all sorts of uh, and electrifying public transport fleets? But we, when we layered those interventions into the model, it meant um, they, the impact on carbon was uh, a reflection of, of that particular town or city type. Um, so, for example, there was a rural town and the, the average journey lengths there were, were much longer uh, than those of the, the polycentric city because um, people were living further away from, from the local centres. Um, and also uh, car, car use modal share, single occupancy vehicle mode share was much higher in the, in the, in the rural town uh, than the, the polycentric uh, urban area where public transport was obviously uh, much better covered. So what it did allow us to do, taking these four city and town types, is to get a decent reflection, a decent idea of what the impact would be for, for different sites. And uh, I think certainly the, the, the rural towns seemed to be a lot more challenging uh, realistically in what you could achieve with a similar budget, for example, um, yeah. so, so was the aim, Paul, to try and find of the 40 interventions, sort of the top five or 10 that, that would um, mm. sort of provide the, uh, the greatest good to all four different scenarios? Or was the aim to come up with almost a conurbation type package of solutions that, that work, depending on whether you're talking about a, you know, a 20,000 uh, rural community versus a multi-million population, yeah. um, sort of large, uh, large urban um, space. Yeah. So what we did was we, we, we prioritized the interventions that we felt were the most applicable, uh, the most realizable in the immediate term uh, and, and the, the, the long term um, for each of those city types. What we did find, however, as we started doing the modeling work, that... <laughs> Unless every city or town type uh, delivered almost all of these interventions that we've come up with, um, it was very unlikely that they would get close to this eighty percent reduction. So we we did we did deliver these sort of bespoke packages, um, bundles of interventions for the four city types. But when we started modelling them, we realised well that they're basically going to have to do everything to give them a, a fighting chance. Uh, of of hitting the target by 2030, that was one of the real findings that we had, which was, I guess, fairly alarming. Um, you know, the scale of change that we need to see in order to to stay on track for, to these uh, climate objectives that we've signed up to at the sort of national level, but also the the local level. So uh, you, you mentioned sort of the scale of change that's needed and it being sort of fairly alarming, the, the fact that technically probably all of these interventions are over the period going to need to be introduced. Did your sort of remit for the report and, and, and your, your time spent with the RTPI allow you to start looking at how best to deliver that sort of fairly uh, fundamental shift, um, be it through policy or education or media, or, or did you sort of have to stop at sort of identifying the, um, the, 
the yeah. problems. Um, in fact, the, the timing was quite um, uh, useful of, of the study, and I think the RTPI uh, saw uh, saw this uh, a few a few months off. Um, one of the drivers for us to finish the report on time was such that we could feed that into the consultation process of the DFT's decarbonisation plan. And um, and that was the case. And RTPI uh, took forward the the report and liaised with uh, with DFT and uh, Vectos and LDA in City Science. Um, we, we were on a, some calls with, with DFT to sort of pick out the salient points, so they uh, didn't have to read every single uh, page before getting the gist. Um, and what we what we found from the DFT, they were very responsive to to the messages that we were. That we were conveying, um, there was an acceptance that there was only so much that could be done within the remit of DFT, and that um, the Ministry of uh, Housing and Local Government um, also had uh, a role to play, particularly with um, sort of future development. Um, but uh, so that was an opportunity, and in fact, we we did see some some of the the language that we used in the report um, actually features now in the decarbonisation report. Uh, which is very pleasing. Um, in Vexos, we, we talk a lot about vision and validate um, as, a, as a replacement uh, approach to the outdated predict and provide. Um, and that is in black and white, which is lovely to, to see finally that DFT have said that predict, predict and provide um, is, is old hat and that we need to design places uh, in a way that we want them to be used rather than just assuming there's going to be a uh, a constant increase in traffic growth, and therefore we have to keep expanding road space. You know, we, in, in London, in, in, in the last 10, 15 years, TfL successive mayors have been very good at reallocating road space away from private cars. In, in central London, a quarter of road space uh, has been reallocated from cars to public transport and urban realm. And during that period, the, the population of London has gone up by a million there's millions more extra journeys per day in the city, but journey time averages are exactly the same as they were 15 years ago. So the most effective way you can accommodate a population growth um, in, in an environmentally uh, effective way is, is by uh, being, being brave with street designs and designing places the way you want them to be used. I think it's uh, really interesting when you reference there uh, sort of a quarter of uh, of london road spaces being moved over to uh, to i guess non car or traditional um uses um and in a minute we'll just move on to um to maybe touch upon how this report which you've done with the rtpi is sort of helping you um shape your strategies with the clients you're working with in in sort of a range of um sort of perhaps more real life examples but but before we do that i think it'd be useful just to understand sort of where this fits in currently and where you see it fitting in in the future. So, I mean, really, is this a, que uh, a question of responding to, um, to to current planning policy and transport planning policy, etc., or is it more um, sort of uh, if you're asked to produce uh, sort of a, a, an A1 plan for maybe a more controversial um, development that might be being brought forward, what you might be able to do to really demonstrate to local planning authorities that what's being brought forward is uh, is sustainable? I suppose, in principle, the work that we do um, at Vectos um, is largely underpinned by um, a sort of accessibility-first approach, and, and, and that's really exemplified within the SAM framework. So this is sort of really asking the questions around, you know, 
do we need to travel if we do need to travel can we do it locally and then only really um netting out the rest in in changing fuel types um and and i suppose if if we've got clients and developers who are you know asking how the rtpi report and outcomes relate to their developments so i would say in some respects they they it, it already has it already does and it's enshrined in in much of what we do and and when you look at the interventions there are effectively 40 you know that's not a limit those were just the sort of key 40 interventions that we identified um that sort of fit within that sam framework um and enable either um virtual mobility physical mobility at a local level um uh, or, or switching modes um uh, and uh, sustainable f fuel um sources but but ultimately that's that's enshrined and you know we're all very much aware of the sort of very very familiar um active travel corridors and networks that we de design into developments um or you know some of those sort of ev charging stations that we see um where we've got car share bike share a bit of e-mobility scooters etc um, and so I'd say it's relevant now, um, and that's what's expected of, of, of planning applications as they come forward anyway. Um, but I think really in terms of that sort of strategic development um, and major regeneration, um, it's largely actually looking to the future and understanding that these schemes, you know, they don't happen overnight. Um, and, you know, while they might, you know, if you, if you consider them now, they might be relevant on a, um, a, on a sort of current policy setting, um, most of our garden towns village schemes are delivered through phase development over a number of years maybe it's 5 10 15 or 20 you know uh, and so you know we need to plan at the outset for for what the future policies will be and making sure that those planning applications themselves um are are, are resilient to policy change and then and then also a lot of what we do at the sort of local plan um and feasibility stage is actually identifying that there is an opportunity for our clients to effectively get ahead of the game and uh, and put forward site allocations that are exciting interesting deliver quality development effectively enable vibrant communities um, uh, and, you know, we know that our local authority clients already have half an eye on on the sort of climate emergency and net zero carbon targets. And, and if we can bring forward schemes through the local plan um, that address those, then there's a greater chance of them being allocated. And are you starting presumably to see a bit of a shift in that sort of so I can kind of imagine at the moment this is perhaps a bit of a warn and inform for you guys where you're sort of bringing it to clients attention and are you slowly seeing um, this moving up clients agendas uh, it sounds like particularly with local authorities. I would say it certainly is. And I think that, um, uh, you know, it, it depends on scale. You know, if we've got schemes that are coming forward immediately, then, um, you know, our clients still have an eye on, you know, those future living patterns. So making sure that um, homes are fit for the future. You know, home working is a, a pretty um, prominent aspect of, um, of the way that we live at the moment. And it's important that we accommodate that within our homes. So good quality access to broadband and also making sure that developments have good access to local centres. You know, a lot of what we're doing at the moment is is living locally um, and we want to go to the local shop. We want to access services and facilities near to us because many of us aren't going into our city and town centres. So that's really, really important. I think parking's a big issue at the moment um, and something 
that a lot of our clients are grappling with. And I think the answer to this really at the moment is flexibility. So it's making sure that, you know, while you might need to cater for, um, you know, existing expectations for, for our, you know, their customers, it's also about making sure that those houses are fit for the future. And, you know, quite often we'll consider whether or not the parking spaces need to be on plot or off plot, um, whether when they are on plot, they could be um, repurposed in the future, whether or not some of our clients can consider car barns, you know, the sort of the potential to provide some parking off-site that could be redeveloped in the future. So it might actually have some development potential beyond just parking. Are you able to um, to sort of explain perhaps where you've worked on these schemes or where you work on these schemes currently and sort of some of the um, uh, some of the, the real life occasions where the, these 40 interventions that you've looked at are being um, sort of pursued and how they're being woven into the um, the transport policies that you're or solutions that you're proposing to um, to clients? Yeah, I think um, Vectos has got a pretty strong grounding in in many of the garden towns, garden village schemes that are coming forward at the moment, and probably um, uh, so what one of the earlier ones in, in, in Wales is Plasdor. So that was a, a significant growth proposal around um, northeast, northwest Cardiff. And we got involved at the local plan stage there to actually influence the shape of um, the allocations as they came forward. And initially, the traffic models that were being um, used were predicting significant impacts, particularly on, on the M4. And actually, we at the local plan examination stage we sort of questioned whether or not that should be um we should sort of rethink how we accommodate that and the outcome was that we we sought to address a a small fraction of that growth and then take what would have been significant financial investment in road infrastructure and repurpose that in um, other areas and so at the moment plasdor is being built out there are uh, three cycle super highways uh, included as part of that scheme um, and significant investment in bus rapid transit. Um, and I would say that those elements are probably sort of front and centre in our package of interventions within the RTPI study. Yeah, and also another garden town um, is uh, Dunton Hills. And our mobility strategy there really does uh, sort of embody the, the SAM framework and, you know, really trying to internalise trips. So tackling that first a question which is you know do do you need to leave, leave the local area to to work or to, to go to school or to do your shopping or, and our target there in the mobility strategies for uh, 70% of movement movement to be internalized and the way to do that we're designing um, a mobility hub prominently located in in the in the town center so it's a focal point for the community but it's also where you can interchange with electric car clubs and e-bikes and cargo bikes um, it's where the cafe would be and the bike shop repair. So it's a community vibe. It's also where you, um, you know, you pick up your on-demand transport so that you don't necessarily need to jump in your car all the time if you do need to travel beyond. And it's also elements like, um, yeah, micro consolidation and ensuring that the town is really designed in a walkable, cyclable scale that sort of lends itself to, 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 to living locally. So picking up on that, you, you've mentioned sort of transport hubs and community hubs. I mean, breaking this down and maybe for a moment being slightly trower centric, if we were to look at sort of um, almost retrofit, as it were, or, or, or building some of these solutions into existing spaces, and I guess we've got sort of um, maybe three quite good examples of different collaborations. We've got the big London office, um, obviously, obviously massive city. We've got sort of the Birmingham, Manchester offices in, in sort of 
um, key large conurbations, and then we've got Exeter as more of a um, city and a rural community. What might we see? What might be the sort of the, the, the top changes that each of those um, sort of streetscapes might see over the coming sort of five, ten, fifteen years as um, as we move towards this this reduced um, carbon environment? I can. I think we're going to see more sort of pick up, drop off transport um, in 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 towns and cities, uh, but sort of formally accommodated. You know, in towns at the moment where you have Uber, for example, or other ride-hailing services, you know, people are just sort of launching themselves into the back of the car um, on, a, on a sort of four lanes of traffic. Um, when I was in Portland a couple of years ago, they have dedicated DRT or ride-hailing pickup drop-off bays at the airport and um, in, in streets throughout the city. So I think helping, helping those technology-based on-demand shared mobility services will, will be important. We've seen in Milton Keynes at the moment, there's a, a DRT a whole fleet of DRT minivans running around town um, in the trial, and they're replacing um, sort of loss-making bus services, which are quite often empty because they are not demand responsive. And uh, seeing if they can replace some of those services with, I think, I think there are eight-seater uh, minivans which you can hail the same way that you would hail a, an Uber, um, and you're directed to a sort of virtual bus stop to to jump in one of those. Um, so as technology improves and it sort of makes shared mobility more convenient uh, and maybe with the costs come down for the user, um, is it, you can see that, that the demand will increase. Um, if things are convenient and cost effective, then people are going to sort of use those services. There's a, a property development, a new residential development in Leicestershire. And they, I think through the one of section 106, they have a, a DRT minibus which connects the residents with local town, business park, and, and the university campus. I don't know about you, but if, if I was guaranteed a lift within 20, 30 minutes to do you know, most of my journey types, uh, I, I would consider whether I needed well, two cars or a, any cars if, uh, if I was able to do that. Um, so I think, yeah, a lot, a lot more demand responsive transport I can see, see taken off. I suppose to add to that, something that I'm seeing uh, happening right now is a is a sort of change in mindsets around um, uh, around town, city centres, and and other areas of higher value where there is a competition between parking stock and commercial value and commercial interest. And I think that's an area where a, a sort of fundamental rethink in policy setting and trying to design cars out of these spaces in a sustainable, connected and well-considered way is going to change the way that we see our, our town city centres. And I think, you know, part of that is going to have to be driven by our local councils, those policy makers in being bold around how investment comes forward in the future. I think there's sort of one big question around road investment um, and whether or not um, sort of significant road investment is going to have a future in, um, uh, in, in, in sort of future policies and future policy setting. And I know that, you know, from our experience at Plasdor, uh, that there was a, there was a real appetite in refocusing, um, policies around delivering sustainable transport interventions. And I think that that's, probably easiest and most effective in some of our metropolitan cities where we've got single leadership teams, um, where we've got un unitary councils that actually can 
really latch on to that sort of vision and validate principle and make you know we need to make sure that that vision is is bold it's really you know going to deliver change and i think if that happens then there will be a mechanism to deliver significant future mobility opportunities that that we've not seen before and the reality is the cost of that is probably no different to our road building bill every year. So I, I certainly see that being a significant change coming forward from both the RTPI government's aspirations for decarbonisation. It feels like there's also, uh, I'll invite you to comment, sort of a, a real opportunity here. I mean, I think one of the thought leadership pieces that Trails has been running is, um, is reimagining cities. And one of the areas we've been looking at is the high street. And you sort of see these quite scary figures. I think it's 85% of... Um, of department stores have shut down. There's obviously been a massive move to um, uh, a massive move to uh, sort of uh, last mile delivery and, and and the online shopping world away from the high street. I think we're all probably um, in businesses at the moment where we've got staff looking to return to the office and wondering how that might impact upon the city centre. But but I would have thought there's a real opportunity here to. Um, to, to use transport and, and, and reimagining the, the streetscape really and transport solutions to, to make that environment um, much more enjoyable really. Yeah, uh, for sure. From, from a transport perspective, you know, you can have mobility hubs taking up disused units, repurposing them um, on high streets or elsewhere. Um, you're seeing a whole explosion in co-working spaces um, uh, across the country, across the world. Um, I was in Edinburgh last week and I was chucked out the hotel at 11 o'clock and I made sort of miscalculated because I had a, a call all the way through to 5 p.m. Uh, so I just went on my, I just Googled co-working space and within 20 minutes I was on the top floor. This amazing um, sort of, sort of you rent a desk space by the hour and um, I had a view of Arthur's seat and I took my call and uh, drank lots of free coffee. Um, and I mean, those sorts of, amenities weren't really around five, ten years ago. So that, um, yeah, that, that, that there are opportunities there to, to, to breathe life back into the, the, the high street. I think also it's about that sort of complexity and balance of, of land uses so that um, the places that we, that we live and work are, are more vibrant. And, you know, in some respects, you know, the, the, the impacts that we're seeing around greater home working is a real opportunity for some of our, our market towns and, and even our villages. And the chances are, and, and I'd hope to see some changes um, in the way that we see those centres thrive. Um, and, you know, those have been struggling in, in, in recent years, we're starting to see communities actually um, take on the responsibility of delivering um, on, for the needs of their community, you know, whether that's local work hubs run by community volunteer groups, uh, you know, whether that's um, delivering, you know, small scale um, shared mobility in those areas. And I think the change in use class for uh, employment is probably going to deliver some of that diversity, but we've got to be, um, you know, on the front foot and making sure that as that change happens within our cities, that we're actually delivering um, the mobility requirements to facil facilitate that change. Thanks, John. And, and I guess just sort of close and, and while we look into the future, um, I think it'd be really interesting to understand um, two things. First of all, sort of what's, what next in relation to um, to this piece of work? Um, how you and the RTPI will, will, will follow up over, over coming years? 
um, and and sort of where where the report and the, the the thought leadership piece goes next. And I guess also, what next for you guys um, as a business, knowing that you're um, uh, recently announced the merger with uh, with SLR? Well, let's pick up on the last one first. Um, so yeah, board vector, board um, director with Vectos, and I must say it was a it was a a, a pleasure to announce the merger um, earlier this year. Uh, personally, I saw it as a sort of natural progression for Vectos. We see ourselves um, very much in the sort of environmental sphere, and SLR are leaders in this market in all areas other than transport, and and you know that's changed uh, with with our arrival. I think it fits our great strategy perfectly, and and while we continue to lead in the private development market, the RTPI study really shows that we're able to influence future policy decisions and better shape the world we live in. And it also gives us the springboard into other existing global markets, sort of North America, Australia um, and Africa, where mobility is changing apace. So um, we're all really excited at Vectos um, to, to be part of the SLR group now. Yeah, Paul, do you want to say a bit on where we sure. see that sort of follow on from the RTPI yeah. study? I mean, just as a quick summary, the uh, once we did the carbon modelling exercise, we found uh, sort of when we averaged the four typologies together, just to be represent, just just to give an indication um, of, of the carbon savings potential. So the, the the interventions which enable local living and the means to substitute trips entirely by by living locally and not needing to jump in a vehicle, that can save up to fourteen percent uh, carbon emissions by twenty thirty then the range of interventions shifting modes to sustainable public shared on-demand mobility services that can realize a, a further 13 percent so not huge also what we need to, what we need to consider is if we don't change the way in which we design uh, new communities uh, and the transport strategies for those that will continue to contribute to the surface transport emissions so we should start thinking more about carbon neutral, even carbon negative developments, uh, ways in which you can reduce carbon from surrounding areas by putting in, I don't know, active travel corridors. You can reduce the carbon footprint from surrounding areas to a development. Um, that can make savings. But then ultimately, you're still left with about 50%. In order to make your 80% saving by 2030, we found that the, the, the remaining 50% did have to be saved through primarily here electrification um, and in some cases when the technology comes forward a bit better um, a hydrogen fuel cell um, propulsion so 50% through switching fuels so there is uh, still a huge role to play on the switching fuels side but if you did just start with switching fuels and then worried about street design afterwards and uh, shared mobility services afterwards, then you probably wouldn't make the same savings in, in those two stages. So, um, yeah, in, interesting finding. But I mean, what it basically tells us, we're going to have to see things that we haven't seen before in this country. Um, and and we need to start seeing those changes soon. Um, of course, the challenges are, if you just think about like a drop in the ocean, the low traffic neighbourhood, tiny, tiny little drop in the ocean and the resistance and the fear that some councils have now of keeping those permanent um, because of public backlash, this is not an easy task. And uh, it needs really strong government level, top down support to give the councils cover. And it needs the councils to continue with some of those 
trials and new measures that they did during COVID. If if we're going to get anywhere near that 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 target in in, in twenty thirty, um, in terms of next steps, I mean we're doing some more work in Vectos now on carbon modelling. Um, uh, there was a slight limitation with what we could do within that project, um, and the carbon emissions were primarily from commuting trips. Uh, and there's obviously more savings that can be achieved, huge more savings through uh, changing uh, leisure trips and education related trips and retail trips. Um, so we're looking more into uh, that detail. Um, but we have been taking these messages and recommendations from the report on sort of a virtual roadshow and we've presented to uh, local authorities, architects, master planners, transport planners, um, the whole sort of property industry um, I was on a, an away day last week and we had representatives from the whole property industry in the room and, you know, everybody's on board, you know, whether it's down to having low carbon emitting concrete uh, or reducing the amount of unnecessary steel in your in, in your buildings. And, you know, every part, you know, not just transport, but every part of the, the, the planning sector knows what they need to do. And I think there is gradually the um, the, the, the belief that it's not just good for uh, the environment, but there's also a uh, um, sort of monetary driver behind it and clients are going to start wanting it. So on the whole, these messages have been very well received. And, uh, you know, the challenge now is to start getting them into more of our um, master planning and uh, mobility strategy work. Well, I think probably echo the thoughts of the three of us that, like you said, the sooner the better. And let's hope that we... Um... We see it coming through into policy um, as soon as possible. Um, and, and then just for anyone who's um, who's been interested by this and, and, and wants to um, understand a bit more and get hold of a copy of the report, it's presumably all available on the RTPI website? It is indeed. There's also a link on the on the Vectors website. Brilliant. Well, um, thank you very much for your time then, guys, and um, hope to chat to you again soon. Thanks very much for inviting us, Nick. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at Trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.